Well, no, I only have so much battery life here, so we got to finish. Oh. Well, let's do it. Well, plug that bitch in. I left it at home. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay, so well, do you want me to just going. start? Um, well, let's we let John start. kick it off. Yeah, we're, we are um, interviewing Chip first. Oh, we're oh, interviewing we Chip are. first. Oh, we are. Yes, we are. Okay. From Atlanta, where our food is fried, fattening, and delicious. It's the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell, and a connoisseur of Godzilla movies, John Mihalik. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whole World Improv Theater, the podcast. My name's John Mihalik, and with me, it's part two of the Tanya Takeover. It's Tanya Wagner. Hey, John. How's it going? I'm well, Tanya. How are you? I'm doing very well. Super excited to be here, although I really wanted to do the intro. Welcome to the Whole World Podcast. See what I can do? I've been working on it. I'm editing it out on this episode, but you can use it on the next. Oh, I can? Yeah. Really? All right. <laughs> and today, we have again turned the tables on Chip Powell. That's right. Hey, Chip. Oh, hi. <laughs> How's it going? It's grand. <laughs> you look like you're feeling good. I am feeling good, actually, to be honest. I did drink last night, but I had a good time. I'll tell you what I did last night. Oh, did you make love to your husband? No. I um, <laughs> <laughs> I drank some uh, cranberry long drinks and some citrus long drinks. And uh, then I had an edible. Wow. I'm surprised you're here. It was an apple. She just had an apple. That's all it was. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We've been focusing on meeting our main stage cast all season here. We are at the second to last episode. The pinnacle. The penultimate, actually, I think Uh, would be it. Okay. So we want to do something a little bit different today, Tanya. We've heard the story of how Chip became a main stager, but we want to view from the top. What's it like to see the students, the apprentices, and the main stagers from the artistic director's point of view? Oh, all right, Chip. Let's talk about being the artistic director of Whole World. Let's kind of talk about what goes into being the artistic director of a nonprofit improv theater. Let's kind of start there so everybody sort of has an understanding of what you do. Okay, well, that's loaded. It's a lot. Um, I think it starts with the fact that you check in with the business manager to see where you are, what you're doing. You look at the calendar and you project what's coming up. And then you collect themes or ideas and build show ideas based on what's coming up in the future. So you're always trying to be three months ahead and build things or create things. Then you think about rehearsal. We've got a sketch show coming up. So you want to get your actors familiar with script work. So you start, you know, months in advance, getting them to learn scripts and understand what that process is. So when we go into a sketch show, they have that. You're always working three months ahead. So you're always trying to project what will happen, when it will happen, and what we'll be doing. So right now we're working on summer themes. So June, July, and August, what's going to be happening then? 
So we're creating those things. And then you work with an associate director who does your class programming and you talk about the class programs. You talk about what days are classes? How many classes do we have going? How are we going to fill those? We just recently came off of a musical class, which is an elective that we did on Sundays. So what's the next elective? Is it going to be character? It's usually done through a survey that the students fill out as to what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. But then you think about who's in your cast, how are you going to cast them? Like last night was a very experimental show for me because we had a lighter house because it's spring and we get light and then there's outdoor festivals. And so we don't have many people. So you can kind of experiment. So I switched things up a lot in my show last night just to experiment because it's a good night to experiment Mm -hmm. and see how can we take the things that we normally do and change them up. So it's not just one simple thing. It's many complicated things all over the board that you're constantly thinking about to keep the company moving the way it's moving. Okay, so it's sort of like the, uh, I would say, like the operational parts of your tasks. So let's talk about students because you are teaching right now. Let's talk about dealing with like the people. And as the artistic director, I would think that you have sort of maybe um, a different viewpoint in teaching because I would assume maybe you're looking at or for different things than maybe other teachers are because you're always looking for people that are going to keep the company moving forward. How is it being a teacher as well as being the artistic director? What's different about that? Um, It's putting your money where your mouth is. When I started, I started here as the student program director. So I was recruiting, I was building lesson plans, I was creating, and I was doing that through the artistic director at the time. So we were creating a syllabus The same way I'm working with our associate director, David, we're building out a new program. It's 10 weeks as opposed to what we had before. Mm -hmm. So you kind of walk through it. And then we're in the process of now rolling out that program. So you also look at the students and go, you know, did they handle the 10 weeks well? What worked? What didn't work in the 10 weeks? Maybe we need to change some things. Maybe it's moving too fast for them. Maybe we need to slow it down. So there's a lot that goes into it. But as a director now going into it, I love a brand new class. But I also just took over a class from Aaron and they are on fire. And it's great because it gives you fire. So it's a combination of a lot of things, but for the most part, the students really are the future of the company, and you have to look at it that way. That's why I always say no judgment. I can't judge somebody for their capabilities, but what I can do is help them change them, and then hopefully out of their final grad show, have potential to move them into our apprentice cast, which is where all of us came from. And that's how we all became who we are. So if I keep working with people and find their potential, as opposed to judging what they're not doing well in, I try to highlight and point out the things that are working for them. So what is, when you see a showcase, and I know you come to all of them, what well, no, really? Not, it's changed because there's so many, many that now I'm not coming to one and two. I'm waiting until three, three or four, four because a lot of times I come to one and two. And by the time you get to three and four, you're really excited about some people and you come in, they're gone. They're gone. And yeah. you're like, what, what, what happened? So when you see these final <laughs> showcases, when you see the final one, what 
What's something that really stands out to you about people? Like what's something that people can do that really just makes you think, oh, they could be like a great apprentice? Well, it's going to sound kind of nerdy because, you know, you go into Dungeons and Dragons and you have (laughs) charisma and you have, you know, it's like all the little things that you check off. It's really about their stage presence. Are they listening? How are they as a partner to their fellow students in the show? character? Are they doing character? What are the things that they're doing that are appealing not only to the audience, but to me? Right. So I'm looking for a lot of things within the students that are things that will match up with the current Apprentice cast that will eventually get them to main cast. I want to jump in here because I've always been fascinated by this. As the artistic director, Mm -hmm. you're going to make those calls. But Tanya, also as a teacher, before someone becomes an apprentice, what's the conversation between the teacher and the director like that the apprentices never hear? Wow. You're really opening the Pandora's box (laughs) here, John. Um, We actually just uh, drink and draw names out of a hat. That's all it is. I knew it. We play cards against humanity, (laughs) and then we try to match the student to the card. So I will say from the teacher making the call to Chip, and then I'll let Chip answer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My thought is I kind of like to walk through everyone, and there are things that I am looking at as a teacher that I will go over with Chip, maybe things that you're not going to see in the showcase, such as Mm. like attendance, things like that, that, you know, I'm going to go over with him. There are people that maybe don't have their best night in the showcase, but they've done really great work. And these are also things I'm going to talk about. I mean, I would say we talk about everyone that's in the showcase and then we kind of go from there. And these are the things that I bring to Chip. And now I'll let you talk about how we hash it out. I usually go, oh, you know, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, we're really great in your show, but they might not have the best track record. They might not have, you know, made as many classes. They might have been late a lot. Um, So, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it because we need people that are going to show up and perform. So that's Mm kind of the first thing you look at is, are they going to show up and be on time? That's always been important to me. I feel like that was ingrained in me as a kid when I was doing musical theater growing up because it was about being on time and getting prepared and being ready for the performance. And so I want to make sure those are covered. But then you also have to go in a little deeper because people have passion. And some people fall in love with this craft and they want it really badly. And then you have to go, well, you know what? I might need to spend a little extra time grooming them because maybe they didn't, like she said, do as great in their showcase as they could because there's a lot of nerves involved. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So you have to kind of look beyond the performance and also take in uh, account the work they did with their instructor. Like, are they valuable? Were they valuable? And how can we let them shine in different ways coming up through the program because you want people that everybody in the main cast, once they get to that point, is like, yes, we need to make this person part of this main cast because that's how I got here because I was able to prove myself worthy to a group of people when we were first forming the company because myself and Derek Green were the last two that were put into the main cast before we became Whole World Theater. I fought like hell to get there. And I did it because I knew after doing scripted work and musicals and touring and traveling and doing all the things that I had done that 
you put 110% in at all times. Mm-hmm. Like you don't back down and there's no moment that you say, you know, I'm just going to let this one ride or, you know, you have to constantly be on it. And that's a lot of pressure on yourself and a lot of work, but it proves worthy because here we are. I mean, I would say it's an interesting question. We always have a very open dialogue about students, and I never think it's anything negative. We're really just trying to make sure it's going to work out for all parties involved because we want everybody to have a great experience Mm -hmm. here. I know you do, Chip. I know that's your main goal. Oh, yeah. 100%. If you're not having a good time, you shouldn't be here. I know that a lot of people put pressure on themselves to do better, but then you also have to know that we're also putting pressure on you, not in a way that makes it unfun, but in a way that challenges you to rise to the occasion, if that makes sense. It makes total sense because I think it's no fun when you're on stage if you're not being challenged by your partners and you're not challenging them as well. Mm Mm-hmm. It becomes more like work when it should be like fun. It's a back and forth. Yeah. You want them to bring something. Well, you're never growing if you're not being challenged in some way. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to put forth a little extra effort just to grow the skills that you have mm-hmm. and complement other people. For sure. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs where beautiful people bring you the arts while surrounded by singing birds and fairies. They must have us mistaken for something like Shakespeare in the park. Or the vagina monologues. Vagina. I always think of improv, it's really like a relationship sport. And you, as the artistic director, have built a lot of relationships here. A lot. Over the years. How important is it to you to have a relationship with your apprentice cast, your main cast? Kind of talk about that because I don't want people to get the impression that you fly too high, that you're like unapproachable or any of that because it's not the case. You're going to get that regardless. I mean, you're going to have people that feel like you're unapproachable or you're above them for whatever reason, but that's not the case. The only thing I ask is that when the show's over, (laughs) can we not talk about what we're doing? Like, it's wine 30, and I need wine 30 to happen and not have conversations about what the hell I've been doing all week. But uh, so that might be the only time I'm unapproachable. But for the most part, uh, it is important to have relationships. But you also have to have them in a way that is respectful of the craft. So you can't just, you know, in my 20s, I went out with everybody. We partied. I went out last night with Alyssa, our old bartender, and I realized I am too old for that (laughs) shit. Right? And I looked around and I was like, I am grandpa standing in a thing. And, I, you know, I don't look like grandpa and I don't feel like grandpa, but I was grandpa at the goddamn bar. And the reason I'm saying that is because in the day I was out with all the students throwing down. And, you know, that was early in my career here. As you get older, you realize, you know what, that's probably not the best thing for me to do to get to know (laughs) these people. It's probably better for me to get to know them one-on-one after class, during class, 
around a show because it's more personable than it is to dive in and go, let's go hardcore, let's do shots, (laughs) shots, 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 right? And so if you take that element out and you find the balance, it's really important. You know, when I'm talking to you or John on the phone, I usually end by saying I love you. Right. And it's because I genuinely and truly do because you're part of my life, you're part of my family here at work, and, you know... People have been to my house, you know, that's, you know, it's very rare to get an invite to my house. And I make it that way because I want to make sure that we're being respectful of each other. And I want people to earn my trust and my friendship because I've been burned before. I mean, we've been here 28 years. You know, in the early years, I made some mistakes and I brought in friendships that I thought were genuine and they bit me in the ass. So I'm a little bit more cautious, but also the fact that I want people to know that I want to be here for you for improv. I want to be your coach. I want to be your director. I want to be your fellow performer. I don't want to be your therapist. So Amen. There, yeah. So there's a line. And I've learned very well how to maneuver that over the years because of personal experience. Why do you think it is? Because this is something that has always fascinated me, and I want your take on it as the artistic director. Why do you think it is after a show that some people want to rehash everything that happened in the show? Because I kind of do it and then forget it, you know? Like, once it's over, I'm sort of like... Yeah, leave it on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think that is? What do you think makes people, like, so that need to have to, like, rehash and overanalyze and go over? What drives that? Immediate gratification. People need to be... They need something. So that's why they do it. I'll give an example. Someone came up to me last night and wanted to talk about the schedule. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, but... That is a part of me that's already clocked out. And you can call me on Tuesday at this time and we'll talk about that. And usually they're, oh, okay, okay. Because I want people to understand that it's not about, I I don't want to put you down or anything. I just want you to have an understanding that you've got to respect what I've done as well. Because I'm respecting what you've done. So I'm not going to come up to you and try to force more work on you at the end of the night. Right. But I do want people to have an understanding that sometimes instead of trying to get validation from your directors or your fellow actors afterwards, there's a time that you can walk away from it and just think about it. Like spend time with yourself because you probably know the answer already. It's just you want some sort of validation from us and you might not get it in that moment. So you might need to just step away from it, reapproach it the following week when we're all together for rehearsal or around the weekday, Mm -hmm. you know, when you get a chance, reach out and call us. And that's what the other thing is like, people always say to me, "Um, I I don't want to bother you. I'm like, you're never bothering me. I want to be here for you. I just want to be here for you in the right time, in the right space. So I want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that works for both of us and so that you can get the actual answer that you need. I always also uh, try to have that person reach out to their other directors as well. Because this is the same thing that I always tell all the students. You should be taking improv, not at Whole World, as well as Dad's Garage, 
or somewhere else because you need to get feedback and you need to hear the lessons as they're laid down by the instructor because we're all teaching the same thing, but we're all doing it in our own unique way. Right. And eventually you're going to hear it in a way that goes, aha, now I get it. For sure. So what's your favorite thing about being the artistic director? Is it, you know, really dealing with everyone here, with the apprentices, with the entire cast? Is it writing the shows? Is it emceeing? Like, what's your favorite thing? Wow, that's a big one. Um, I would say my favorite thing is performing in the show, hands down. It's what I've always loved to do. I've been doing it since I was a kid. It's always about the performance and entertaining people. And that is, bottom line, the best thing about this. It goes above and beyond what anyone's expectations are, other than the fact that you're entertaining a group of people sitting out in that audience. And that's the reward. Obviously, you know, second in line is watching students graduate and watching them move through the ranks. That's the other satisfying thing. Being able to bring someone into our main cast and seeing the joy that comes that's surrounded by that and watching them then take their place in our main cast and having to watch them learn and grow. I always say that the best thing any main cast performer can do is teach because once again, you put your money where your mouth is and now you're being looked at by students and you have to live by your philosophy. And if you rise above or if you make mistakes, you admit it and you revel in that and you let them also watch you succeed and fail the way they're going to succeed and fail in improv because there's no script and there's no net. If you are looking to enhance your awesomeness and meet sexy new people, you need to take a class at Whole World. We offer a 10-week class for adults at all levels. Whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced improviser, you'll learn the Whole World approach to improv and have a blast doing it. I know I did. For students who progress through the advanced class, the entire program culminates with a big, big show on the legendary whole world stage all the actors at our award-winning theater have gone through our class program and now it's time for you to take the stage that's right you you know you want to get that neuroplasticity going and gain confidence at the same time go to the classes page at wholeworldtheater.com to register or for more details you can email our associate director, David Owen, at david at wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, that's theater spelled with an R-E because we're fancy. I know you're one of the founding members, but how long have you been artistic director? I want you to tell us how many years you've been artistic director. And then I want you to sort of take us through how it has changed over the years, because I know it has to have changed as equipment changes, as crew shifts change, yeah. as the actors coming in change. Like, how's it changed? How's it evolved? I've probably been artistic director for 20 plus years. Oof. So it 
changes continually. And that's what I always tell people. It's going to change even more. I mean, we have three cameras mounted up here now, whereas before we would have had one, two, three actual cameras with camera people down here with the folks. So now that they're out of the audience and it's all being run from the booth, it's a different day. But that's one, two, three. That's two less people, a lot less equipment that's in the audience, and it's more streamlined. Everything changes. And that's the beauty of improv. You have to continually change. As artistic director, I'm not running the same games that I probably ran back then. From 28 years ago to last night, I'm still finding different ways to do what we do. I'm always trying to find the spin or the angle that's going to work. Or I've got a team of people and I go, this person could probably do this or this person could probably do that. If we went backstage, if this podcast went backstage with me last night after the first set of our show, they probably wouldn't be happy because there were some things that weren't going well. And you have to be able to address that. And you were there. So, you know, it's very rare that I give something at intermission, Mm -hmm. but it just needed to be addressed because it was all over the map. And, you know, it was a lot of things that it was unfocused work and you have to get it refocused. So when we did and we came out act two was 10 times better because everybody was like, okay, you know what? We need to get refocused. So it's a never ending nonstop ride for me. And that's why I'm still here because those changes and those differentiations of how we do something are the things that keep it fresh for me. And that's how I stay here and I keep doing what I'm doing. So you said something, I guess you gave them some feedback at Mm -hmm. intermission. Mm -hmm. So I know you said that performing is your favorite thing to do as an artistic director, Mm -hmm. but as MC, because you also MC, there are times that we do have to give feedback. We do have to give it, just like you said, something Mm -hmm. was happening, it needed to be called out. How do you handle it when you're giving this feedback? Because I don't think anybody ever does it maliciously. No. But how do you handle it when you're giving this feedback, and I'm certain it's happened to you, and they just start to look deflated? What do you do? I call that the shutdown. When an actor is shutting down, you let them shut down. And that's what you do. Now, you do have the rest of the show to do. It's not. It's very rare, very, very rare. But I have sent people home. And I do it sometimes because it can affect the entire group. And if I feel like it's going to affect the entire group, that's very rare. Rarely happens. But when it does, it's because I need to keep the integrity of the group going. And if I feel like one person is um, affecting that, then they need to go. It's also the fact that I will pull them aside during a show and say, what's wrong with your face? What's going on? You're an actor. You should be able to hide this better than you are hiding it. <laughs> and uh, you're not hiding it very well. Physician, heal thyself. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, there's times, too, that you um, you feel like it's not intentionally out there to hurt you. It's out there to make you better. So yep. I'm trying to give you feedback in the moment so that you can correct your performance mid-show if need be. Because you're only as good as your last scene. So this brings up another question. How do you deal with it when people push back about feedback? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with it? Do you have to like take a deep breath and like count to 10? Because just like you said, it's no. not malicious. It's to help no. them. It's not even a, about taking a breath. It's put it out there and you either 
perceive it or you reject it. And if you reject it, then when I go into casting my next show, I remember that. And I'm like, well, maybe it's not time yet to put them back in a show. Because maybe it's time for them to reflect on what it was. And if they didn't receive the note, I mean, trust me, I've been doing this a long time. And there are some people that uh, don't think this shit don't stank, so to speak. And yet you deal with it and you go, okay, well, then I'll either work with you in the future or I won't. But there may be another director here that gives them a shot. And that's the other thing. A lot of times people come to me and go, why am I not being cast or why am I not doing this? And I'm like, you have to go within your own core group and go to your MCs and talk to them. Because if I'm able to cast you and they're not, there's an issue that you are not like I strive on knowing how to write for people. And I think that's the other thing that becomes the disappointment as an MC is that, you know, their potential and you give it to them and then you're watching the show and it's not happening. And you're over there going, oh, I know you can do this. Like, come on, you can do this. But yet sometimes we get in our own way and you go, oh, well, they didn't succeed at that. But there's times in 90% of it that I write stuff for people and they take it and they run with it. And I love that. That is the reward. But there are times that it doesn't happen. And then you get backstage and backstage is different because a lot of times we want to just go, oh, you did great. But there's also the moments that you get backstage and you're like, all right, look, we got to have a heart to heart because this isn't working and you're all over the map, or you're talking over each other, or you're not listening, or you're questioning, and can we end that? So if you can get them to a place that they will receive the information in a gracious way, it's about how you deliver it. Because if you don't deliver it in the right way, they're not going to receive it. Yeah, and this is true not just for apprentices, like you alluded to, main stage. I mean, we do that stuff in main stage. Like last night, the show you were referring to, you gave me some notes on a fortunately, mm -hmm. unfortunately scene that I did with Daniel mm -hmm. Clanton. And I am rarely the fortunate yeah. storyteller in that game. <laughs> I don't know why. Doom and gloom, John. <laughs> I appreciate the notes. I mean, they might have sounded harsh to somebody else, but it was just like, you know, John, you went too fast here. You can't yeah, go yeah, from... Yeah beginning to end of the story, look what you did to your scene partner here. Yeah, but yeah. then, and I just realized, I'm like, oh shit, you were right. Oh, thanks. You didn't mean it to be like, you know, John, you screwed over Daniel. It's like, you know, John, you got to think about this next time. Well, yeah, it was more a note for you to go savor the moments. Like we always say we move so fast in improv that the story that the couple gave us had so many interesting points along the way. But to go from the beginning directly to the end, when you can savor this, because you know, at one point you're going to have to make stuff up about yeah, that, exactly. you know, like you're going to have to make up what they didn't include, but don't force yourself to get get there too quickly, you know, because then you... Because you put a lot of pressure on yourself when you do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and your partner, you and your partner, because, you know... He, like, oh my God, it's the yeah. end. But you know what? After we uh, left the stage, that was it. But it was a great scene. And they were very happy because we told their story, even though mm -hmm. it was not their story, but they enjoyed it. You know, that's the one thing that we as performers, directors, instructor, everything is that at the end of the day, the audience doesn't know all the details that we 
put into our work. They just know that they had a good time. So we beat ourselves up a lot of times when actually the audience has had a really great time. And that's why I say shake that shit off. Get your ass out there in the cafe and meet people because that is the turnaround for you. Because they're going to come and you go, when you did this, it was so funny. Or when you did that, it was great. So when you interact with your audience, that's also therapy. So you don't need to come over to me and ask me about the schedule. Go over, <laughs> go over, go over to somebody and say, "Hey, did y'all enjoy the show?" And then you're gonna find they're like, "You were the best," and you're like, "Yes, I was." <laughs> there are two takeaways after a show. Chip wants his wine. Yes, never say the word schedule. I think the biggest takeaway, and this is a great one for anyone who is probably involved in any type of theater. Once it has happened, it is over. Let's not talk about it. Let's let it go because it is. You're kind of like I, I just I don't even know what to say here when somebody starts bringing it up to you. You're like. I've got my Prosecco. I just want to. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Tanya is also a wine drinker. Yes. It's a nice time to also mention we now have wine on tap here. Yes, and, and it's and a nice beer. time to mention that and my uh, picture is on the board with a cartoon bubble coming out of my mouth that says, I recommend the rosé on tap. And I do. Okay. The rosé on tap. And you do. It's very good. You do. You drink I love it a lot. that. Yeah. Here we are. I think we got like what? Say 20 apprentices right now as we're um, recording this. So each of these apprentices, they all came in at different times, so they all have different level of experience. They all have their own strengths, their own weaknesses. How do you manage to instruct that whole unique group? Wow. Another good question. <laughs> We've been doing this, Chip. This is our 49th episode. Okay. Well, all I'm saying is this. So you get into a room of these people, and it's mixtures. So we have, since the pandemic, done something we don't normally do, which is audition people that had experience to come in. And when you do that, you've got a different level of performer. Then you've got people that are working professionals that just took an improv class and they've made it all the way through, but there's something there and we want to work with you. We have apprentices that have become main cast members because we want to work with you. So you've got a variety of folks in the room. So you do different things. Hence, the Wednesday rehearsals where we break people apart. We've been working on scripted work. So I've got one actor right now that's very terrified of scripted work, and they're about to be in our last round. And you go, okay, but you know what? You can be terrified of it, but you're in this industry, and you're going to have to take this challenge on. So you work with that level of experience. Whereas you go into the next room and it's David or Tanya or anyone that's emceeing that's running a group of people. And you say, all right, this is what I want you to work on. I want you to work on four person games, or I want you to work on this specific thing because we're having some difficulties in the show. Or do we want to work on just straight up acting? Can you just be a performer? There are also times that you go individually, get up here and tell us what you need to work on. And then what you need to work on as we are training others in the main cast to now be MCs, you say, okay, well, out of the three of you that are going to be MCs tonight, pick the game that you want to MC. When the actor gets up and says, I want to work on a remote control, well, then out of the three of you, who needs to work on how to call that game? Yeah. So it's not a matter of the level, it's a matter of the needs. And what are the needs of the group? And what do we need to do? And that never changes. 
that is a continuum that's been going on for 28 years. So let me ask you this, because I've noticed a cycle when asking people what games they want to work on. Have you found through the years that people get very hung up on certain games at certain times and wanting to work on them? Because there is a game that seems to be coming up every time we are with the apprentices. Do you know which game I'm talking about, John? Subcons? Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's coming up repeatedly. And it's fascinating to me because I'm like, I feel like they've all sort of like hooked onto this game and they're mm -hmm. like, this game, this game, got to play oh this game. Oh my God, it's the pinnacle. Well, it's well, the ultimate. There are two four-person games that we play a lot. Narration, Narration Switch, obviously, where you're narrating and then you're in the story. So we go into subcons and now you have to be that person. Mm -hmm. So it's different than narrating because now you have to be that person's thoughts. And subcons is probably one of the toughest games that we play here. So it doesn't surprise me that that comes up a lot because you really have to get into not only being that person, but then you have to understand how to play the angle because you have to understand that the person that's sitting next to you is not supposed to hear your thoughts, but they do. So how do you take advantage of that? So when you get more advanced in subcons, how do you take advantage of that spot of being the thought when you're the person on stage is not supposed to hear that information? How do you manipulate it that they can somehow read their mind? And that's a great breakdown of it because the mm -hmm. one thing I always tell everyone when they're like, I want to play subcons, I'm like, okay, don't get frustrated. This is a game where all four people in it have got to be on the same page. And the way you just explained it, that yeah. is what I mean. Mm -hmm. You guys all have to be like listening at the same level, understanding mm -hmm. how to work those angles, how to slide in there. And that is what I think they are all trying to figure out and maybe yeah. why they're all like, I want to play subcon. Well, and it's not a game for amateurs. I mean, you have to be of an advanced thought of mind in improv to make it work. And I think that... The overthinking process that a lot of our actors use of, am I good? Am I being good? Am I doing good? You can't have that floating around when you're trying to play a game like that. You've got to be on it. you got to be listening and you got to know how to take the information and use it to your advantage to not only make yourself look good, but to make the other three people in the scene look good as well. So there's a sensitivity rule here because we can't talk over each other. There's a lot that goes into it. It's a lot. It's a very oh, yeah. complex game. Have you seen other games sort of come through in cycles like this where they are like the hot button game? Mm -hmm. Have you seen others come through? You mean like where the... Where uh, the apprentices or maybe even the main something. cast are just like hung up on, oh we got to work on this. Uh when Survivor first came out, we did a Survivor show, which is very much like what we did last night. It's elimination show. But the guy that was running it had actual real tiki torches lit on fire on stage, which I had to end right away because oh I was like, God. no, 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 no. Like the first show, it was so smoky, smoky in here. It was filled with, I was like, what are you doing? You had no idea. But I mean, you know, I commend him on his you <laughs> originality. Know, exactly. And trying to stay true. True to the form of Survivor because they extinguished everybody's torch 
But Darren, again, we shouldn't have had an open flame in this small space because we all could have died that night. But the Apprentice cast at the time, we had old cats and new cats at the time. They were the new cats. And they were very excited about this. And they wanted to run it in rehearsal because you have to rehearse a game like that. Mm-hmm. You really do. Just like we rehearsed before Christmas, before we did reindeer games. And now we've turned it into the Easter games. Like you have to kind of go in and go, you know, we're going to do this formula. Now, sometimes in rehearsal, it doesn't work and I put an end to it because then in my mind, I know I'm going to run this and I already know how I'm going to run it. So I'm just going to, it was fun to have your input, but daddy's going (laughs) to, daddy's going to take over and I'm going to run it the way I want to run it. And I'm going to have formula and it's going to work. And it does because it's always worked out in my mind before I hit the stage. Like, I always have a plan. I never come to any show without a plan like I did last night. I was like, we've got 20 people in-house. I'm going to change it up. Instead of the callers having a list, I'm going to have the folks on stage have a list and call out of this emergency situation. And the callers just have to sit there and be ready for however they set it up. So I reversed the roles. Mm -hmm. And when I reversed the roles, it's like, okay, let's go for it. Embrace it. Let's go with change. Because why do we have to do it the same way every time? That was a really fun game too. It was like, why don't I go get phone call? (laughs) Why don't I go call? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Why don't I go call? Or interrogator where you don't have to guess what it is. Um, You've already got the information. You're being interrogated, but I'm going to buzz you because then where you were at the time of the murder is different from, you know, all that. Yeah, that's fun. It was a lot of fun. This program is supported in part by Georgia Council for the Arts through the appropriations of the Georgia General Assembly. Georgia Council for the Arts also receives support from its partner agency, the National Endowment for the Arts. And thank goodness for organizations like these, because now more than ever, anybody sick of that phrase? Everyone knows how important the arts are, because where did everybody turn to? two years of health arts. So let's keep recognizing these amazing organizations for what they are and what they do. We love you. Let's get to the big question. Oh, I love big questions. What do you look for when you're finally ready? You know what? It's time to add a main stage or what are you looking for? No drama. <laughs> Why are you like staring at me? Because <laughs> Tanya... No, I'm, but I'm being serious. I have a radar. You can be on it for the right reasons or you can be on it for the wrong reasons. And you're very open about that. And I commend mm-hmm. you because yeah. you will flat out say that. You are on my radar and yeah. not for the right reason. Because you're coming in late, you have excuses, um, your performance is lacking in a certain way. But then there's the folks that are on the radar and they are enjoying the process. They're never complaining about it. Whereas sometimes you get in that middle ground where there's complainers and and or entitlement or better than, and that grosses me out because if I put that in the main cast, it's it's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. So I have to be very protective of the main cast members. And I always reach out to them usually individually to find out their feelings on a certain person before we bring them in because there is a transitional stage that people go through when they go from an apprentice to a main cast member and they get kind of lost in the blurriness 
awareness of what it is. And you have to kind of direct them. And you need a team of people that are your main cast members that help groom them and move them on to the next level. They may not ever be good at dialects. They may not ever be good at impersonations. They might really excel in teaching and they grasp the ideas that we want to teach the students, but they also may be a great MC. You can't just put somebody in that group and know that they're going to be really great at every single thing we do. You have to know that every flavor is there to complete the show. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have an understanding of each individual so when you cast a show, the first thing that I ever do is I go through and go, what is this person really great at? Because that is me highlighting your strengths. What is this person great at? And then you write that way. You write the scenarios or the ask fors based on, am I going to put them in a character because they're strong at character? Am I going to put them in this game because they really rock this game? So the first thing I ever do is write for the strengths of the cast that I have. Then I go through and go, what is a challenge? What would be challenging for them? What might help them get a leg up? Or what might they need to really put some stock and value into learning how to do better? And if you do it that way, you end up having a very successful show. I would agree with that mm -hmm. for sure. Let's talk about casting. Let's pull back the curtain on that. Oh, wow. We're really just going to go for it all today, aren't we? We're going to go for it all yeah. because we can edit some of this out. It's a pen and I circle the names. Okay. I will. <laughs> so I, I want you to go a little deeper because we have it so that apprentices and main stagers can sign up for the shows. Yeah. So when you look at that casting list, what drives your decision? Main cast takes priority. Always. I'm glad you said that because I think that is something that gets lost mm -hmm. sometimes. I think it might be frustrating sometimes to apprentice members that they're signing up, but they're not getting cast, but they don't understand. Well, their show is Friday Night Fighters. That's exactly. the show they should definitely be signing up for. Everything else is bonus. Mm -hmm. I feel that when you're casting, there's a lot of things that go into it, especially because I'm looking at all the other MCs and I'm approving what they want. But their desire and passion to write for people is number one. So I let them pick out who they want. I might occasionally step in and say, well, they missed two weeks and in their last rehearsal, they were sitting down the whole time. They mm -hmm. didn't get up and perform. So maybe we need to rethink that because what kind of message are we sending to the people that are getting up and regularly signing up and are here? Like, what kind of message are we sending to those people? Sometimes it slips through. And it does because somebody's so good or doing really well and you want them in your show. There's times that you throw a bone. Like, okay, it's your birthday and you've got all these people coming, so let's get you in the show. But you do it and then you've got to make sure that you write them in a way that highlights them. But you also are going back to the rest of the cast or the company and saying it was their birthday. They've brought 30 people to the show. We need to, like, this is a pass, right? So there are a lot of factors that go into how we cast and what we cast. But the number one thing is all the time, what was your last rehearsal like? Were you active? What were you doing? Were you presenting something new? Were you giving us something? I need the directors, the MCs, the writers of these shows to be inspired. And if you're not inspired by somebody, how are you going to put them 
in a way in the show that's going to be good. But if you have a group of people that you are inspired by, so sometimes, like I said before, we get in our own way. We let personal issues come in and we cry or we don't come to rehearsal. We're a no-call, no-show. Or we do show up and we're half-assing it and we expect that because I've took the time to put my name down, I'm supposed to be cast. And that's never going to happen. It will never, ever happen because I see the casting before it goes out by every MC. And it's important for me to see that because there is a message as a company that we need to send to everyone that you've got to be working. We've made no delusions as to what this schedule, it's on. You are here Wednesday nights for rehearsal. You are working three shows a month and that's it. That's what it is. So the people that are complaining about it or doing it because they have to do it. You know, it's just one of those things that you're just like, no, I'm just not going to cast that person. And it's also about your attitude in and around the shows and around rehearsals. If your attitude sucks and we have you in this cast, well, you won't be here long because that is one of the things that I do not tolerate. If you want to have a bad attitude or you want to be negative about what we're doing, that's fine. Go out to the parking lot and sit in your car. And the rest of us are going to work because we've got a goddamn show to do and it's got to be good. Yep. And when you have four every weekend and we're trying to add five, huh? no time. Last question. You want to ask last us? question? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, we have to wrap this up. So this is the last question. Why are we wrapping why this are we up? Wrapping I could this just up? talk all day about we're this, John. We're going behind the curtain. <laughs> John. Because it's already one thirty-five. So uh, John's got lunch. Last question. Oh, John's so, the next interview. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. So many goddamn batteries, Chip. <laughs> okay, Chip, tell us uh, what you see. What do the next, say, like five, ten years hold for Whole World as artistic director? What's your vision? Wow. No pressure. Looking five years down the road is something that we do with grant writing. Mm -hmm. It's always been in place. Where do I see it? I don't know because it's about the people that are here and the inspiration and the passion. Right now we have Dave working on scripted work. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know until we launch that, but we have actors that are preparing We've had them doing scripted work in order to get prepared to learn scripts for sketch. So we're in the process of preparing ourselves for maybe another phase where we could do sketch work because we haven't done it for so long here. Long form. We haven't done it for so long. I've taught it. We've done it. Is it going to come back? I don't know. It's really about the people that are here and the passions of the people that are here right here and now. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if I can get that and project it three months ahead, we're golden. I always tell Emily this too. Can I really see five years down the line? Because if I go back 20, 20 years ago, not even 28, just 20 years ago, the things that we were doing then, I never would have projected that we would have done. I wouldn't have projected that we would have done some scripted work. We would have mixed in a short play festival that we would have done all the things that we do because we're improv and it's got to always be on the cuff. It cannot ever really be like five years from now, we're going to do the play Robin Hood, you know? Like, that doesn't make sense. And so, and then things change as well as the tide in the community because we never expected COVID. I didn't think we would get through COVID. I thought we were going to have to close the doors. But Emily and myself and the team that we work with got our hooks in it and we said, let's do it. And 
If it wasn't for that hard work, and it was very hard, which is why I am surprised that people aren't raising Emily up on their shoulders every time she walks in with (laughs) ticket day parade shit going on, because it's not something that was easy to do. So trying to project, I hope we're open. And I hope at that time, someone will rise to the occasion to have the passion that I have for this and take over and do it in a way that I do it. Because the only thing that has ever mattered to me when I'm here is the quality of the work that we produce. And if we're not doing good work, we should shut the doors. So I'm always passionate about trying to find the things that make these people that are currently here passionate enough to put everything they have into what we're doing. Amazing answer. And it gives you a lot of insight just into who you are as a person, Chip. You know, you are a great director, a fantastic person just to perform with and a friend. Thanks for being on your own podcast. Thank you for letting me be on my podcast. <laughs> and thanks for your help, Tanya, as the co-host. Oh, that was fun. That was hey, fun. Tanya. Yeah, we got a lot okay. of info. And stay tuned next week. I don't know who we're interviewing then, but until then. And scene. Thanks for listening to the Whole World Improv Theater podcast, a podcast that's been influencer-free since 2021. The Whole World Improv podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive producer, writer, and hunka hunka burning love is Chip Powell. Recording, writing, and post-production by John Mihalik. I don't know, there's nothing new this week, but the season's almost over. Original music by The Gentle Readers. And our social media maven is Bethany Rowe. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. We'll invite you to our next moon party. They're all the rage. Oh, I went to a a full moon party many years ago. Ooh, I jumped rope, a a giant rope, jump rope, that had a bunch of lights on it. Did pretty well, considering I was many drinks deep. Many, many. And then I went and got a massage on the beach from a nice lady who I think was trying to seduce me because she she called me sexy, but it put a lot of oil on my back. It was pretty cool. Uh, but I, I, in the end, I just put, put money down and skittered off like a, a tiny little weasel. <laughs> Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, as always, it's tax deductible. You can use it to increase your kids' allowance. Because everyone knows they're going to need the money. In this economy, am I right? Uh, Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. And I'm a big dumb dummy with a big fat butt and smelly arms. And my teeth smell bad. And and my arm hair smells bad. And I... It's never in one direction. It just goes in different directions. Very unkempt. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
So I went downstairs and put on a documentary on HBO Max. Which documentary? Oh, uh, The Way Down, about that weight loss woman, the preacher. Oh, the cultist preacher woman? I fell asleep because it's very slow in the beginning. Like, they were given, like, so much, like, backstory. Yeah. I... And what she what happened now? She was way down. She did this weight loss thing where it's like um, you have to use the power of like the Lord to combat your yeah. hunger. Like you don't eat until your stomach growls. That's when you are hungry. But then she also developed this religion, which like did away with the Holy Trinity. And, and that's where I fell asleep. So here are people who are like overweight who want, you know, help with this. So like all cult leaders, she took advantage of them yep. and then they kept giving her money. And yeah. the hair on this woman. Oh, my she, God. But did they lose weight? They did, but they've all gained it back, it looks like. Yeah. I mean, she died in a plane crash. What? Mm-hmm. Are you being serious? Yeah. It turns out Jesus doesn't like cult leaders. 